put out content, articles, videos, posts. You do all that stuff. And ultimately, you do it to get more customers. And I think what a lot of people forget about is that the phone starts ringing and people commenting on your posts, people liking your posts, people following your newsletter. And in these interviews, what I learned is that that's actually the problem. Because there's while we, while we spend a lot of time and money on marketing, there's no follow-on process in sales and actually taking those leads and converting them to customers. That was Flavio Hangata, our guest on the New Zealand Small Business and Entrepreneur Festival podcast. Today, we've asked Flavio three questions. How to create your own sales and marketing process, how to make your sales offer stand out from all of the noise, and how to build digital trust in sales. Kia ora, man. How are you? Kia ora, Craig. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you. I'm pumped. It's Monday. I love the start of the week. Awesome. So, Flavio, we've got three questions. Let's crack straight into this one. Um, the first question we're going to ask you is, how do you write a sales and marketing process? Right. Um, so, sales marketing process is is an interesting one because what we tend to have is, on one side, you have marketing as a function in business, and on the other side, you have sales. And... Uh, we generally, in large companies, there are two different functions. Like you have two different departments in the big company, a big organization. Now, for a small and medium-sized company, those two people sit right next to each other and probably talk to each other on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. But uh, sort of traditional marketing and traditional selling, we see them as two separate processes. And in a small business, it's super, super important to actually bring them together. And... Um, I, I interviewed a couple of marketing agencies, like their companies, and asked them, um, sort of obviously with my lens through sales, I asked them what some of the challenges they see with their clients, because marketing is just taking off. Everybody knows we need to be online, we need to market online. And so they're doing really, really well. Like it's not a problem to actually generate leads. You put out content, articles, videos, posts, you do all that stuff. And ultimately, you do it to get more customers. And I think what a lot of people forget about is that the phone starts ringing and people commenting on your posts, people liking your posts, people following your newsletter. And in these interviews, what I learned is that that's actually the problem because there's while we, while we spend a lot of time and money on marketing, there's no follow-on process in sales and actually taking those leads and converting them to customers. And so usually what you see is you get inquiries, but they don't necessarily convert to customers. Uh, you don't have enough warm leads. And sort of you're you, you seeing marketing and sales as two different, two different pieces. Marketing does not convert your deals. Sales does. And so instead what we want to do is um, figure out a way to identify qualified leads that want to connect with us and then guide them through the buying process. And that's essentially what we want to do. And, Cold lead, um, don't know much about your business. Warm lead, they showed interest in an impression or something that from digital or they picked up a brochure and they've given you a call or something like that. And a hot lead, someone's ready to buy. Someone's ready to make a purchase. So all you got to do is close the, um, the sale, let's say. Close the sale. And actually, while we're on the topic of leads, there are um, we talk about qualified leads a lot. And so a qualified... Um, someone who is your prospective buyer, 
that you can help that have got a budget. And so that would make a qualified buyer. And marketing determines a qualified lead differently than a salesperson would. So marketing counts a lead when you get a subscriber to your email newsletter or um, when someone engages with your content. That might be someone, a lead that you pass off to the salesperson. But the salesperson then would look at, do they have a budget? Is it something that they're looking to solve today? Or is it something they want to figure out next year or the year after? And they're just, I guess, looking for a couple of different um, prospective solutions. And so we have a different terminology in qualified leads. And that's also super important for your sales process. You need to understand what is a marketing lead, what's a sales lead. But... Um, I think as well, the, the thinking around marketing and selling is changing. And so it's a qualified lead. It's someone that you can help. And it's making sure that marketing talks with sales and you have that process mapped out. For leads, I used to call, I've been in sales for quite some time. I, used to, I like to use the word triaging leads. So similar to what you do when you got had an injury and you go into an emergency department and the doctor looks at you and goes, okay, you're not going to die. So um, you're not um, super in emergency. So you're sort of triaging what it is. So something comes into your inbox or, or some sort of contact from some format platform and you triage yeah. whether it's okay, this person is just, just shopping around or this person is actually asking for specific detailed information. So I'll reach back out to them and put together a proposal or whatever that might be. So working out a triage, and I suppose that's the, the sales process and the follow-up process after that as well. So how do you, like, going back to the, the very heart of this question, so how do you write a sales and marketing process? Sure. So I tend to start off with the end in mind. Mm -hmm. And it's looking at what's the outcome that you're looking for. And so um, if you're in a service-based business or professional, maybe you're doing a quote, sort of one of your key pieces of work that you need to do so you get a uh, you send out a proposal you send out a quote that's where you want to get to and I would start working back from there to how we need to start that journey to get to that quote and so um, in order to write someone a great quote chances are you need to meet with them one-on-one -on -one for an hour maybe 90 minutes um, maybe it's a little bit more complex and it's it's a half day that you need to meet up with someone. Maybe you need to go to their house. You need to measure things out. Um, you need to gather all the information to then write a quote or write a proper, um, highly customized proposal. Mm -hmm. And in order to get to that point, to, to that meeting point, you might want to jump on a triage call, as you mentioned, right? Like get on a quick phone call, 10, 15 minutes. Who are you? What are you looking for? Um, what are some pain points? Can we help you? Can we not help you? Can we put you in a different direction? But if we can help you, hey, why don't we set up a meeting? We can come around to your house and have a look around and see whether we can build you a custom shelving unit or um, take the right measurements and then provide you with a quote. So it's sort of like the step back to that triage call. And if I, if I didn't want to get someone to that triage call, it's like, how do you get someone to that call? Maybe you need to have an inquiry form on your website. Maybe you have um, like a, a, a small little seven-day how to renovate your home email newsletter list. And at the end, a call to, call to action to jump on a quick triage call. Maybe you put out a post um, on social media that then asks to 
like people to take a certain action, again, to get to that triage call. And so rather than starting off with creating a whole bunch of marketing content and putting posts and videos and, and newsletters, start with the end in mind and figure out the journey as to how people actually get there. And you'll find that you understand how your people, how your customers buy, but also the easiest way for you to actually sell. And where those two meet in the middle, that's a really good process for your team, but also for your customers. I was just thinking then as well, if you put yourself in, the, in, the, in, in your potential customer's feet, shoes, and they may have sent the same information to a number of different carpenters, builders, painters, probably not dentists, lawyers, landscapers, lawyers, whatever that might be. I always felt that the quicker you could get back to someone, mm. the more chance you have got to um, work with that person for, um, in the future. If you, if you leave it sitting for seven days, oh, damn, I didn't get back to that one. You're probably going to lose it because personally, I feel that if I ring up some some shop and go, "Hey, look, I'm just I'm, I'm inquiring for X Y Z product," and they don't ever yeah. get back to me, and then in, in the interim, someone else, someone else's shop is I've asked that same question, and they jump on the phone straight away and go, "Hey, Greg, how's it going? We've got this in stock. Also, you might want to consider this one here, which is slightly better." Boom! I'll go with them because they've shown interest in 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 me and to help yeah. out. To help me solve the problem that I'm, I need, which is a new set of drawers or whatever it might be. And you want it done fast. I had a similar story um, buying a musical instrument, well, like not an instrument, a, a controller, mix controller. Mm -hmm. And I tried to get one secondhand, save myself 30% off the retail price. And the person didn't get back to me. And I just, I, I waited, I waited, didn't get back to me. And I really wanted it. I was uh, like, I wanted it there and then. And I actually mm -hmm. bought a brand new one for 30% higher by a higher rate but i was happy to pay more because i wanted it then and there and the guy actually got back to me a week later asking me whether i was still interested and i'm like dude i've already bought it like i've made the decision a while ago and, and this I is think, my sound uh, <laughs> <laughs> but i think it's this highlights the the importance of a sales process and mm -hmm. um so like who in your team is responsible for the person who will manage it who will reach out to the person um, do you have any assets like collateral PDFs that you need to share or can share to have that speed in, in answering your customers' questions? And you don't have to have all the answers, but just saying, yes, hi, uh, we acknowledge you, we're on it. And there was a really interesting study by Harvard Business Review, and they looked at companies who had a sales process versus mm -hmm. companies that didn't. And those who did, had an had a increase of 28% in their sales performance. So like have a process. It's so important. And then look at PDFs or templates to make that process easy. So in my mind, the process could be quite simple. It could be lead X lead comes in. You give yourself a 24 hour turnaround time at a maximum to get back to that lead. If you're calling them on the triage, make sure you've got a pre-scripted range of questions that you ask so that, in, that, that so after you hang up the phone you've answered all the questions that you need so then you have enough information to be able to provide the information or price whatever you're doing accordingly mm. and then send send them send it to them let them know when when you they're getting the proposal or they're getting the documentation or whatever that might be and then follow up so when how quick do you think you should do do a follow-up as as soon as possible 
Um, oftentimes when I have a strategy call with the team, I try to send the proposal out that same day, like that uh -huh. afternoon. And so oftentimes we have like an hour long meeting to really understand the company, understand their challenges. But I've got all the questions prepared that I need to know to make my best recommendation to the organization. And mm -hmm. from there, like it doesn't take long to actually type stuff up, provided you have the information in the first place. And, and the faster you can do it, the better. Like we live in an instant world now. Like everything is instant. You can order food on one of the food apps, like instantly. You can buy stuff online and get it delivered the next day. Um, some retailers now have same-day deliveries here in New Zealand. And so you want everything now and as soon as possible. And I feel that if you get back to someone really quickly, there's no need for them to look anywhere else because they, they already feel like they've been looked after. Go, oh, well, I'm not going to, I don't need to do any more Googling. Oh, Craig's got my back. He's going to um, help me out. No problem at all. Already got someone putting it out. Yeah. yeah. I wonder whether there's a, um, did you ever read Rod Cialdini? No. He, he, wrote, he wrote a book called uh, Influence and um, Persuasion. They're sort of like a, a professor. And he writes around persuasion and influence. And he's got six factors that he speaks about. And one of them is reciprocity. Mm -hmm. And when you do a favor for people and you frame it correctly, then they're mm -hmm. inclined to return that favor for you. And I wonder whether getting back to someone really, really quick and, and like the proposal is done really fast and helping them, guiding them through that sales process whether there's a form of reciprocity and they want to return the favor by doing business with you. Mm. So it's almost like the fast. Psychological. <laughs> yeah. Like it's um, little influence factors. It's, it's an interesting book. And um, he sort of unpacks a whole bunch of uh, research, uh, a lot of studies that he's done over the years. And um, it's an interesting book. If you're interested in sales, Robert Chalmy. So Flavio, I'm going to move to the second question, but before I do so, if you could just summarize question one, how to make a sales marketing process, um, could you do it in a linear sort of format to say, step one, do this, step two, do this, step three, do this? <laughs> the sales and marketing process, what you need to make sure is that you put marketing and sales together. Like it's for your customer, it's an entire experience. It's not different departments. They see the entire journey from when they first contact you to when they first meet up with your staff, that first sales meeting, and then buying a product. It's seamless. And so when you create your sales process, make sure you start it with the end goal, what you're looking for, and working your way towards where your customer's journey actually starts. And what you want to make sure is that you, throughout that journey, you really understand who your customers are and ask qualifying questions. Like, What's their budget? What are they looking for? What's their desired outcome? Like, what are the frustrations they're currently experiencing? Why haven't they tried it before? All these questions will help you to put together um, a really great offer, really great proposition for your customers. And the better you understand your customers, the easier it is for you to get that proposal out. And the more likely they feel like they're being heard and understood by you couple of things I'd like to add in there as well in terms of the copywriting. The tone of how you email people is quite important as well. And it's good. So there's a thing called archetypes. 
if anyone out there has not heard of what a what an archetype is, it's the type of person. Let's say it's the type of person who you are when you turn up to a barbecue. Are you the the joking mate who's he's everyone is confident about? Or are you the are you the magician or are you the the real leverhead centered person? But you need to have a, an understanding from your whole team of how you talk back to people. Specifically, if someone comes back with some negative feedback about something, it's not like a blame game or anything like that. It could be like this is how we reply to these types of situations to make sure that we've got the best their their heart at the, the centre of our decision making processes as well. So we want to make sure that people feel comfortable and empowered to um, make make choices and and provide feedback as well. So I think tone is really important. Um, uh, Cassie Roma, who we've done a couple of podcasts with, this one says said one thing, and what you were talking about as well is about brand really as well. So marketing and sales put together, and every every single bit of communication that you put out into the world, um, whether it's marketing. Um, or, or collateral things like that is, is is your brand. So you need to think about what does what does your brand look like, or who is your brand, yeah. and make sure that right throughout the whole process is that you're sort of consistent all the way through, not um, um, super fancy and flashy over here. Then all of a sudden they get really average average service down the other end. You need to it needs to have had some sort of consistency. I think and there are a lot of companies out there like that. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. like. Um, Big game, rah-rah up front, and then very little delivery on the back end. Yeah, yeah. And there is, there's companies where um, we had a chat last week with a lady named Carmen Vislich. She owns a company called Data Insights. When they, well, when you're getting into big big corporations where they have siloed organizations and there's no um, consistency through. So she said an example where she bought a set of drawers. Um, it was waiting for it to get delivered. Um, sales process went into um, let's say process number five. Contact calls up. Hey, Carmen, how's it going? How's your set of drawers? Oh, they haven't arrived yet. Oh, okay. So <laughs> make make sure that there's some um, some actual real time data about your sales process as well. Right, I'll keep talking. So I'll stop. Question number two. There is a lot of there's a lot of stuff out there, especially on digital at the moment about sales and buy this or sign up here, subscribe here, apply here. So how do you make your sales offer stand out? I think this is a good one. Like how do you actually, because you're marketing a lot, you're spending a lot of money on marketing to like promote your product, promote the proposition that you have. Mm -hmm. And when you then go into a meeting, oftentimes, like if you don't have a great proposition, you get a lot of rejection. You do a lot of cold calling people are not interested in what you have. You send a lot of emails out. People uh, don't respond to your emails and people just don't want to talk to you. That's a good sign of a bad offer, like something that doesn't really stand out. And um, I find the study really interesting. There's a guy called Luke Sermer and he wrote a, he wrote a case, like a little story around Ogilvy and Mathers. They create websites and they looked at the performance, like the different variables that increase the performance on the websites. And interestingly enough, they found out that just by changing the type of offer they make on that website, increased performance by 300%, like 300%. That's three times as many sales. And what they also found is that depending on who they show this offer to, like the people they target, increases it by 700%. Wow. Yeah. So you have seven X and three X. 
which mm-hmm. means it doesn't matter what you sell. It's about what you're offering and like how you say it. And it goes back to what you said just earlier on in your content. like, how do you talk to people? It's so important. How does your brand get communicated to your customers? And to whom do you make this offer? Like actually targeting people. And um, a story that I have with one of our clients, they came into a new, uh, very competitive industry, like very saturated market. And they have some very big players, like huge corporates, all competing for the same customers. And it's usually like whining and dying, whining and dining clients, like big contracts, like we're talking multi-million dollar, hundred million dollar contracts. And he was working for a tech company, like a smaller company. And rather than competing with all the big fish for the same, like in in the same market that everybody else, we decided to break it down into the smaller companies that are just too small for the big players to actually target, for the big players to actually see value in that market. Mm-hmm. And we created a very catered offer that the big players weren't able to do because it just wasn't worth their time. And through that, he managed to get like a lot of sales quite fast. So um, like we managed to get million dollars worth of contracts in the first 12 months, like very fast, just by targeting the smaller companies. And for a startup, that's huge. Mm. For anyone. <laughs> for anyone, that's huge. Yeah, like it's it's nice, right? Uh, it's even better when you don't have to go into a tender process and compete with, you know, big brands when you don't have any reputation or credibility in the industry yet. I've got a couple of questions about your sales offer and how to make it stand out. Or maybe they're not even questions. Maybe it's just some of my <laughs> the insights, the insights that I've had. Um, so I do a lot of sales and marketing work. Yeah. Um, with, whether it's with events, whether it's with the, the work that I've been doing for the last 20 years. Um, one thing is about context and ensuring that the, the audience you're targeting, mm. you're sending information and the way that you talk to them is the way that you would expect or you just got to think about who you're talking to. So if you're, if you're targeting, um, let's say, 50 to 65-year-olds, the mm. way that you talk to the, them in that ad set let's say if it's on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or wherever that might be, would probably or should be differently to what it would be if it was 18 to 25-year-olds because it's a very different, different different eras. They're from just different generations. And then 30 to 35 again and then and 40 to 55, they're all, they're all quite different. So I think it's, it's worthwhile thinking about the context and how you're actually talking to them to make, to make sure that it's relevant to, to that demographic. And I think, like, you've hit the nail on the head, right? It's around, again, who you make this offer to. Mm. And going back to your archetypes before, when you're talking to someone who's 50 and 60 years old, they're looking for very different outcomes than someone who's 18 or or 25 years old. Mm. They have got a very different buying behavior. And and when we create, like, the, the perfect proposition, we always, always, always start with the customer we, we forget about the brand like if, if we didn't exist what's our customer like what are some of the behaviors that they show what how do they act what's a day in their life and what we want to understand is like given their job like if you are in business to business that maybe they have a specific job function or a title or like a position um if you're a consumer brand maybe they're 
you, you do it around a certain activity like shopping or buying something. And what you want to understand is like, what are they looking to achieve? Like, what's the outcome they're aiming for? What's the job they're looking to get done? And so if I was selling software to help financial managers do budgeting and forecasting, like in half the time, then one of the jobs might be to have quick and easy forecasting, right? That's what they want to get done, or they just want to get it done as quickly as possible. But when we look to do the customer research, we really want to dive into what are the frustrations when they're looking to do the budgeting and forecasting, when they need to report back to the board, or when they need to um, share the results from the quarter with their team. Like, what are the frustrations? And maybe the frustration is the data is everywhere. They can't find all the information in one spreadsheet. Or they need to send a whole bunch of emails to follow up with their colleagues to gather all the information. Like these are all pain points that we need to know about our customers so that we can create an offer that is catered towards these pain points. Um, which sort of goes into the second piece. So we understand our customers. We understand what they want. We understand the problems that they're experiencing when they're looking to get this outcome. And so now we look at how does our product help eliminate or alleviate these pain points? How does our product or service help them achieve that outcome? And everything that we talk about matches our features to that, matches our, um, our services, mm. our core capabilities of the company to what the customer is already experiencing. So I don't need to tell you about my fancy features and, and AI and algorithms or this, this new product that we have. It doesn't matter. What matters to these people is I want to get there faster. I want to do it cheaper. Like, and I've got issues achieving that. And so if you, if you match your product to that, then that's a really good offer that you have, like a perfect proposition in the market. Simon Sinek's why I suppose would be a good good episode to check out if you have not seen it. So why are they trying? What it's not the what or the how. It's the the why is someone going to purchase from you or make that sale or whatever that might be from you that you got to try and work out what that is. Um, and I'll I'll put a link to that on the in the show notes, Simon Sinek. So if you have not heard of Simon before or you have not seen the why um, TED Talk, which is, it's pretty cool. And it it's does great. help. Yeah, it does help help me anyway with working out, the um, working out, starting with the why. Why would someone want this? Like, like why would point? I sell my brand new pot plant business to an 18-year-old who very low, probably there's not many, not many 18-year-olds that would buy my pot plants. I don't sell pot plants, FYI, but just saying, like, if I, I, w I would not be targeting 18-year-olds if I had a pot plant business because there's no reason for them to buy it off me unless they were trying to buy a present maybe for their, for their parents or something. Or maybe there is a... Anyway. anyway. Or they're, they're, home, they're a homeowner and they want to spruce their living room. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Check it out. If you haven't seen it as well, check it out. Um, um, I'd love to get Simon Sinek to the Smini Festival probably in a couple of years' time. That is a, um, a target for me. Um, so, so when we're talking about how to, do you make your sales offer stand out, my assumption at the moment is that we're just talking about digital marketing, digital through um, the digital platforms as well, or, or what? What are the what are the offers, or what are the platforms that could we focus on? I think you can like you. You can use this approach 
doesn't matter whether you're in a sales meeting face-to-face -face or uh, whether you're whether you have an e-commerce store, whether you're selling pot plants, whether you're a builder and you're selling your services. Like the perfect proposition is one that really speaks to people. And what you need to be able to do is like show empathy in whatever what you're selling. Show empathy. Do you actually understand people? The reason you shop at one store over the other is because you're like, yeah, that's me. That's my brand. They, they get me. They understand me. Um, or you might really like their values, what they stand for. That makes you connect with that brand. And so show empathy to your customers. Like show them that you understand them. Show them that you hear them. Show them that you know their problems and what they really want. And once you do that, then it's about building trust. And it's building a relationship with these people um, as part of the proposition. And we've got like a framework that we teach. And it and essentially is a framework to help you do three things, like um, show empathy, earn trust, and build authority in your market space, sort of the three key building blocks to a perfect mm -hmm. proposition. And around each one of them, you have another three components that help you do that. So I need to you need to make sure you have a clear user story of your customers, like a clear customer story. Once you have that, you need to make sure you can identify and articulate three of their core problems. And once you have that, you then go into making a promise. Like what's a better world that you can offer to your customers? And that's, that's the empathy part. Once you have that, we then look to like a, a great offer. We'll start to establish some trust with people. And you do that through having a very well articulated process as to how you help your customers achieve the outcome or that promise that you told them about in the first place. And so, um, you know, we, we spoke about the sales process earlier on and the marketing process. What's the process that you take people through when, when they first find out about you to then actually experiencing value from your product or service? Like what's that journey? And they're usually three to seven touch points that articulate that story really well. And, when you can do that and, you, and you've told them about it, the next thing you need to do is show proof that you can actually do that. So what are some customer stories that you can share where you've helped someone achieve that outcome? What are some um, testimonials that you can share with people? Maybe you can use your Google ratings, like Google five-star ratings, um, case studies that you can share, anything like that that backs up that you can actually do what you say you can do. And when you have that, then it's about um, having some clear pricing, clear pricing, nothing confusing. Um, the simpler you can do it, the better. I think this is the pitfall of some service-based companies because it's a, oh, it depends kind of question or <laughs> like answer. So you really need to make sure that um, you, you've got some kind of easy to understand product-based pricing is probably a good way to say it. And um, offer people some kind of guarantee. Like make it a no-brainer for them to work with you. Can you give them a guarantee? Look, if it doesn't work out, we'll give you your money back. Or if the product doesn't do what it says on the box for you, then bring it back. I'll give you your money back. Um, when you put all of those together, that's a really good offer. I found that over the – so as some of you already know out there that I am in the event industry – and we've had reschedule after reschedule after reschedule events over the last two years. 
we've had events cancelled, we've had events rescheduled, then cancelled, then rescheduled on. And what I've found personally is that as so long as I can communicate to the audience exactly every step of the way, this is what's going to happen. Like if this scenario happens, I'm just going to give you your money back. Be kind. Like yeah. and then and, and not 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 only is it cool to be kind and go, look, yeah, sure, here's your here's your money back, no problem. It sort of builds brand rep as well. Because like they go, Well, Craig's Craig's team does epic events. And they also mm-hmm. if if something doesn't go go to plan, they'll just refund you or they're they're really fair. They're not going to to um take your money and run, sort of thing. So I felt that over the last two years, we've done a lot of reschedules. We've always given people three really simple and, and, and fair options to be able to refund them, whether it's 100% refund minus the things that are outside of our control, like whether it's courier fees, that could be your something that's outside of your control, bank fees outside of your control, or your mm. paywall fees that are outside of your control. Like you can't give back that because that's just that's that you'll be losing money then, but you can give back the, the product, if you know what I mean. Yeah. The being being kind is always the center of all of my decision making processes. Be kind, and that will work out. But it's like uh, I like the example that you gave with the events. Um, it's trust. Like be transparent around the process, and then mm-hmm. tell them their options, so they know. Like you're not telling them what to do; you're giving them options, mm-hmm. and you say, "You look here's the roadmap based on what we know." So you're you're telling them the next steps, and they go, "There are a lot of uncertainties, but." We are on your side and um, we want the best outcome for you. And so you're building mm-hmm. that, that long-term relationship with them. You're building that trust. That's awesome. One, yeah, one of the things was for us that I felt was awesome was, was like, you have signed an agreement with us that actually says we're not going to refund you at all if you get to the scenario, but we would never, ever do that. Never, <laughs> ever do that. <laughs> this is what we're going to do, which is way better than what you've actually signed up to, for us to do. Yeah. And, like I'd feel real horrible if I just didn't refund someone for a, a situation that's outside of their control, outside of my control, outside of everybody's control. No one knew that there was going to be this scenario happen and last for so long um, in um, February 2020. <laughs> but they, we're, we're very much aware of it now. We had, um, I bought some event tickets as well. And the event was cancelled. Obviously, we went into the next lockdown here in New Zealand. But what they said, like the email just made everything clear. No one was screaming and shouting and, and, and trying to get a refund as quickly as possible. They just said, look, let us figure this out. We just went into lockdown 48 hours ago um, or a week ago. Sorry. The event will be canceled. We can't go, but let us work out the money stuff, get back to you and we'll give you fair options. Um, mm. Whether you want to save the money for next year, um, whether we run a second event sometime later in the year or whether you get a full refund. Mm. but yeah so good yeah. So powerful. we also for, for that one as well we didn't say you got two days to get back to, you got 48 hours we said you got a month have a think about it all good yeah. and if to be honest if someone come with me in six weeks and go oh sorry i just completely forgot life life admin just got ahead of me go, yeah, all good mate here you go here's your refund no sweat see you see you in the next one if it's okay awesome that you could do that as well because it's like that's huge pressure on you as an organizer because you've got outgoings before the event happens Oh, the outgoings for an event specifically only really start happening from. So I've got an event this weekend, and we've got probably will be anywhere between six hundred and seven hundred riders, depending on how many people uh, enter this week. We've got quite a few staff members, but once you start actually putting team members out in the forest, um, doing mountain bike races in the forest, 
putting up uh, marquees and doing that sort of stuff, then that's when you're actually absorbing some costs. All the yeah. other stuff is just is admin time, which is you allocate X amount of time per, per event in mm-hmm. advance. So there'd be like um, refunds or setting up ticketing platforms and all that sort of stuff, digital marketing and things like that, which you sort of can't get back. But the government's been really cool in New Zealand anyway, where they have had some subsidies and some, if you're a small business like myself, you have been able to recoup some of that just from the government. Mm. Um, resurgent funds, COVID support payments and things like that as well. So that's been ridiculously helpful for a small business like myself um, to recover that so I don't have to take any proportional refunds off people. But so, so as an example for this week, our team's not actually going into the forest to do work until Wednesday and we go and mark 12 different trails up in the Whakarewarewa forest here on Nuturua. And then come Friday, it's pretty much um, all good to go. And Saturday, Sunday, we're racing. That would be amazing. Man, Rotorua is going to be buzzing. Oh, man, yeah. It's, it's, it's good for anyone who manages events outside at the moment. Um, but I feel for the people who like to do big events inside, whether that's um, trade shows, exhibitions, um, like drum and bass gigs and TSB Arena or something like that in Wellington, where it's still the cap's only two hundred at the moment. And that, if you want, if you want to bring Andy C or Wilkinson or will put Shapeshifter in there, two hundred people, you have to charge them fifteen hundred dollars to go and watch it, and that ticket will not sell. You'd have good uh, dance floor space. Maybe that's yes. that's part of the proposition, right? <laughs> you'd be able to sh- you'd be able to social distance, that's for sure, in one of those venues. Yeah, so TSB Arena as example is twenty two hundred square meters. So that means you'd be able to have, at 100, you'd have, um, what's that, 200, you'd have 50 square metres each. There you go. <laughs> Break dance all night. <laughs> um, so let's just, a bit of a recap, <laughs> we digress. Um, question one was, um, so we spoke about how to write a, a sales pro- marketing process. Question number two, how do you make your sales offer stand out? And we didn't actually go into question three because you actually started talking about how to build digital trust in sales, which was about um, the reviews, testimonials, case studies, and those mm. types of things. So you sort of answered that one in, in question two. Is, is there anything else you'd like to add to how to build digital trust in sales? Um, definitely. Like, so the, the, the overarching trend that's currently happening, because sales has been around for like thousands of years, right? Like we've always done that, <clears throat> exchanging goods and so on. But particularly in the last two years, that buying process and the selling process has significantly changed and moved online. Like it's happening online. We're doing it through Zoom, through Skype, through whatever medium you use. Um, Social selling on Facebook and and LinkedIn is happening right now. And McKinsey put out a report and they say that 75% of people since 2020 prefer digital and remote human interactions. Like they actually prefer it distantly through online channels which is quite fascinating and so it's usually very hard to what i find right now salespeople struggle to make that sort of progression to online sales only and they find it hard although they're speaking with people to actually connect with people online and two things to help you build trust number one is really focusing on the customer connection and and i love this quote oprah winfrey who else would come up with an amazing quote like that? Everybody gets said, one. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, look under your seats right now. <laughs> but, but she said, you know, people want to be seen. They want to be heard. 
and they want to feel understood. Like, mm. and I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but she says, you know, out of all the thousands of people she had on her shows and she spoke with, that's what they want. They want to be seen, they want to be heard, and they want to feel understood. And what I find that a lot of people struggle with is the actual active listening part of a conversation with customers. And oftentimes, while the other person speaks, we try to think of what we're going to say next. And we're so worried about the next thing we're going to say that we actually forget about really listening to, like really listening between the lines oftentimes. Like what is the person actually saying? And when you can, when you can really listen to people, <clears throat> you can start to really build trust online. Um, goes into that digital sales piece. Like that's really how that goes. And um, and then the second piece is building trust. And I wrote down a study. Um, and this is like the third question that we were answering today. I think I'm already skipping ahead. Am I skipping ahead? <laughs> yeah, that's sort of like I'm packing the third one, um, which is all about building the trust online, right? And, and there was a study done with 12,000 professionals and looking at how they determined trustworthiness in companies and with mm. people. And there was a difference like on four, four components based on perceived trust. So this is not actual trust and like whole scientific measurement um, systems in place, but it's the perceived trust based on four components. And what they found is that the first piece was credibility, like having credibility with people. And it comes from the words we use, like how we talk about our credentials, like what credentials do we actually bring to the table? And the other thing is like how people actually experience our brand, how they actually experience the interaction with us, which goes back to building that customer connection. Um, and, I think credibility as well, and this is what we unpacked a little bit in the proposition piece, is can you actually back up what you say? Like everything mm -hmm. that you say and tell me is all nice and neat, but can you actually deliver? Not just a whole bunch of marketing stuff and we're the best in the world, but are you actually the best in the world? Have you got customers who tell the same story? So we've got credibility. The second one is um, reliability. Making sure that you're like you have a transparent process, you're predictable, you respond fast, like in a timely manner, like these emails that you write, write them quick, the proposal, get it out of the door, um, respond to customer inquiries, like all that stuff that we spoke about earlier on, right? Like be reliable, be transparent. And then the third one was intimacy. Like how much do people actually feel like they can confide in you? Are you empathetic to their situation? Like, can they be discreet with you? Can they trust you? Can they have a conversation with you without feeling like you're going to run off behind their back and, and um, talk, talk about them behind their back? So <clears throat> um, we've got credibility, reliability, and then we've got business intimacy. Uh, business intimacy, I should probably just highlight that word, business intimacy <laughs> there. And the last one was low levels of self-orientation. And this means that, um, and you've probably seen it as well, right? Like you have some people on online on social media and they continuously talk about themselves. <laughs> they always talk about themselves. They talk about themselves, um, companies, 
They keep pushing out social posts about their product. Look at our product. Look at how great we are. Look at this. And oh, did I mention about myself? And did I mention about how everything great is about me? And <clears throat> what that actually does is it diminishes trust. Mm. So having lower levels of self-orientation actually increases trust. So make it less about you, more about your customers, um, and you'll find that trust increases. And this is based on talking and interviewing 12,000 professionals to see how they perceive trust. Like these four, four building blocks are super, super powerful. But I yeah. suppose in terms of speed, um, you don't have to make it up on the go fast. And what I'm saying is have your proposals templated. So if, if the copy of it's always going to be the same and all you got to do is replace some of the parts of it with the quotes and the, especially the names don't say, Oh, hey, don't say Kelda John at the stop at the bottom. And then halfway down, it says, if name, where you're supposed to put the name or something like that. <laughs> so no, no. Those embarrassing moments, eh? Hey? Oh, my goodness. But if you go back to them and say, oh, my good, I, I sent you the wrong proposal. Um, that actually works really well if you do it quickly. And go, sorry, you're not from this brand. Um, I, I've done that a few times accidentally from sponsorship, trying to get sponsors. And you'd yeah. be like... Oh, hey Smith no. goggles, and you send it to um, someone like Pock goggles or something like that. You're like, oh, there goes that one. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder whether this is like a sales tactic. It's like, hello, Adidas. It's like, oh, oh, sorry, dear executive from Nike. I'm also talking with Adidas. <laughs> they offered half a million dollars to fund. Yeah, dear Barack uh, Obama. Oh, sorry, that wasn't you. <laughs> but yeah. um, with with that with the template stuff and and. Um, like what you just said, you get you get some of the same questions over and over again. And I think that first email that you write, like you write the first time, save that, and that becomes a template. It might not be the perfect template because it's highly customized to the unique position, but save it in a drive folder under like frequently asked questions or, or mm. um, customer problems, customer challenges. And so your team can now pick that up, like change it up a little bit, and then fire it out to the next customer rather than having to write the whole thing from scratch. Mm. You're and, right. Yeah. Um, and and if, if that first email worked as well, yeah. use that one. If, if you're sending other ones that um, don't work, well, don't, maybe don't use that one. <laughs> I, I remember like when I was, when I first started out in sales, I love talking to people. Like I love just meeting new people and, and learning about them. Like that was cool. But then it was, following up stuff and sending up proposals and doing like the process stuff. And I absolutely despised it. I didn't like it. And it was until someone taught me to create a whole bunch of templates and use other templates and just populate those templates and fire it out. Like it made life so much easier and it used to take like half a day and now it takes 30 minutes. Yeah, there are things like um, um, funnel processes and things like that, that automated now that you can, you could get into as well, click funnels and things like that. I'm not too familiar with them, but I, I get targeted a lot of from a lot of ads. <laughs> tell you that. Oh, if you've clicked on anything, click funnel or Russell Brunson. Yeah, Russell Brunson. The yeah, yeah, rest yeah, of your yeah. life, he'll be chasing you. <laughs> yeah. Okay, just take my money. Okay, cool. Um, Flavio, this has been really good. Um, we, we've gone into what was going to be a 15 to 20 minute podcast to 51 minutes. <laughs> but it's always awesome chatting to you. So we, we talked about how to write a sales and marketing process, how to make your sales offer stand out, and how to build digital trust in sales. Flavio, if someone out there is listening and they want some more specific information, 
What's the best way for them to get in contact with you or your business? Uh, best thing is connect with me on LinkedIn. Hmm. Go on LinkedIn, type in my name, let's connect. And um, I've got a whole bunch of stuff to help you more with sales. Um, and I'll flick you some of my white papers. Well, feel free to go to flaviohengarter.com and you'll find a whole bunch of resources to help you with your sales process and have a read. And if you want to have a chat, you know how to find me on there. Correct me if the, I've got the right spelling, but F-L-A-V-I-O-H-A-N-G-A-T-A-R. Oh, G, um, so H-A-N-G-A-R-T-E-R.com. There you go, dot com. Jump on there. Thanks so much for your time. We're going to we're gonna have another one of these shortly, and it's going to be about onboarding a sales team. So if, you've, if you're if you uh, entrepreneur, entrepreneur, or solopreneur, you've got one person you, or you've never had a salesperson specifically for that role, we're going to talk about how to employ that person and making sure that you've got the right information for that person to be able to hit the ground running and actually start making progress for your business. But Flavio, this has been awesome, man. That's been so good. Thank you for having me. Good to chat yeah. again and, and to hear about events coming back to Rotorua. Oh, events all over the country, man. It's really good. It's it's positive steps forward. I, I know some um, – we're recording this on the 4th of April 2022, and in New Zealand some of the mandate requirements have changed in New Zealand, which has been – super super well received across new zealand um we still very as an event organizer as well having hundreds and hundreds of people around we're very conscious of the health and wellness of our community as well so we've got to make sure that we're right on and, and keep everyone healthy so, and safe thank you so much for tuning into the new zealand small business and entrepreneur festival podcast we really do appreciate your time you know what would be super cool? If you could rate our podcast, share it with a friend, or give us a star rating on whatever platform you're listening to it's on. And also, did you know if you're New Zealand-based, we have an actual physical festival. And the first one's happening on the 8th and 9th of November at the Vodafone Event Centre in Auckland. You can catch all the information and details on www.nzsmefestival.com. Thank you again. Have a great day and keep being awesome.